360 podcast featured on allhabs.net with your host Chris G. Hi everybody, welcome to episode 160 of the Habs 360 podcast for this Saturday, December 26, 2015. Hope you're having a good holiday season. We have a special episode for you today as we will replay the best moments of the first half of our season. We will begin with a discussion that we had with Louis Jean from TVA Sport on October 5th and we asked him how he thought the Canadians would handle nine defensemen on the roster and none of them able to go to the AHL without going through waivers. That's a very good question because uh, I think there's some some very capable defensemen. A guy like Mark Barbario, who has an AHL contract, obviously a two-way contract with Montreal, but a very hefty and a very uh, interesting contract in terms of the money owed if he's in the American Hockey League, but he's done very well in training camp. And then, of course, I think the, the big story is what do you do with Jared Tenorti? Uh, he's, uh, he's a player who perhaps hasn't lived up to expectations so far. So I think the Montreal Canadiens have been waiting uh, to see what he can do. He's, he's a player that brings a unique skill set, but just hasn't been able to, to really uh, do what the team has wanted him to do, at least up to this point. And so, you know, what I found interesting was in training camp after his first game when he logged the most minutes, Michel Therrien was asked about his performance, and he said, ah, he was just okay. And and I think that kind of says a lot. It, it gives you an idea of where the team is, what the team thinks, and how perhaps they've soured a little bit on Jared Tenorti because he hasn't been, been able to live up to expectations. But it's funny, when you speak to people from the American Hockey League, people with the Bulldogs, and, you know, I did that last week, um, a lot of people, you know, have said that, uh, you know, in terms of maturation, in terms of the sacrifice, in terms of doing all the things you need to do to be a pro, Tenorti has done that. Uh, but he just hasn't been able to kind of put it all together at the NHL level. So I think it's a tough decision. Ultimately, long story short, I think really it all kind of hinges 
and 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 is all incumbent on what they decide to do with Jared Tenorti. And I would suspect that um, Mark Bergevin has probably been working the phones to figure out what he's going to do. You know that if you place a guy like Tenorti on waivers, you're going to lose him for absolutely nothing. So you have to go and get something if you feel on waivers they're not going to lose him for nothing and so i think that's where the tough decision lies because they feel that bolier has arrived bolier they know what to expect he's a guy who's uh you know he did very well last year when called upon he was good in the postseason and i think that they feel he can bring more of an offensive touch they trust craig pattern they feel that he's where he needs to be to have an impact on a day-to-day basis and so to me it really comes down to jared tenorti at this point and what he's able to do and where they feel he is in terms of evaluation and my sense is and i could be wrong on this uh my sense and my read is that you know they're probably looking at uh, finding creative ways to getting something in return for him instead of just losing him if they feel he's not ready you you mentioned uh, it's it's Rick Stevens, uh, um, Louis. Thanks for joining us. Um, I I think the you know the 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 real frustration with Tenorti, at least from the strange almost animosity uh, towards Tenorti yeah. um, uh, from yep. certain uh, f- fans from some of the mainstream media. And, and, and this ambivalence in the organization, uh, as you said, he's, he's got a, a really unique uh, skill set. He seems to be committed and done the kinds of things to prepare himself. Uh, the, the real difficulty, yeah, no you know, we, we, we see is, is, the, is the mindset. Um, he's, he's very hard on himself when he makes a mistake. saying, okay, his performance was just okay, how does that instill confidence? How, you know, do you see the Canadians being at fault, any part of the organization, for uh, oh. not mentoring him, not developing his confidence uh, to have him succeed? Well, there's no question, because ultimately I know that, you know, it's not kindergarten. When you're in the NHL, you know, you have to be able to produce, and it's not it's not a developmental league. It's, 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 you know, it's the big show. You have to be able to perform when you're at the NHL level. Um, you know, that being said, have they done everything they could? Have they, have they been, um, you know, have they done uh, every little step, every little thing that they could to make sure that he would be able to, to, you know, take that next step? Have they given him confidence? Have they kind of given him the tap in the back? I'm sure they have, but, you know, this is a first-round draft pick, and this is a guy who one general manager told me last year. If he's on the market, I mean, he can play on 15 other teams right now. That's what one GM told me last year. So that means that there's no question that he can probably play on 20 teams right now, or at least, you know, close to that. So I think it's, you know, I think it's two parts. Ultimately, because I said it's not a, a developmental league, it means that he's supposed to be able to put it together to figure it out. And when you're given that chance, after a few opportunities, you have to show that you can do it. And if we're going to be brutally honest, you look at him and you look at how he prepares and everything. He has everything. He, he could be, you know, the prototypical big bruising defenseman that every team wants. He hasn't been able to do it in Montreal. And if you're also being brutally honest, he gets burnt going wide a lot. You know, his first few steps aren't very good. And he hasn't been as solid defensively as you would like. He's a guy that doesn't necessarily, you know, is he, is he an intimidator? Not really. He doesn't really like to do that, but he can do it from time to time. But it's not necessarily something that he does naturally. 
So what is he? So I think a part of it, a part of the blame has to be on his own shoulders. But also, there's no question, when the organization kind of almost sometimes seems goes out of its way to demonstrate that they're not happy with him, well, what's that going to accomplish? How is that going to be a positive? And so for me, you know, the, blair, the blame is definitely half on the Montreal Canadiens, uh, and it's also partly on the player. There's no question about that. And so, th- that, you know, because of all that, you know, they could ultimately decide to start training. Feel that there's enough on the market, or they're still intrigued by him. Uh, so, you know, it, it's difficult to say. Um, but I definitely think that sometimes just just being positive, sometimes giving the player the benefit of the doubt, sometimes just telling him, look, get a place. You're starting here. You're, we'll give you every chance. You're here for 25 games, and then we'll reassess. But if you do that, and it's a gamble because, again, you're in a must-win business, I'd be curious to see what that would do. But ever since, in every chance he's had, he's always kind of been, well, if you screw up, you could not play the next game, or you could be back in the NHL. And not a lot of guys deal well with that. And I remember Nate Beaulieu telling me last year how he wouldn't sleep before games, uh, you know, before he was sent down because, you know, he wasn't playing well. He was afraid. He was, you know, literally uh, scared of making mistakes on the ice. And when you've got that, I don't know, when you've got that, you know, some guys deal well with it. And Nate was, you know, Nathan Beaulieu was able to figure it out. And although he's still young, so, I mean, who knows how it's going to go, but, he seems to have figured it out. He seems to have at least gotten the organization's confidence. But I know that it was very difficult for him, and I know, I definitely know, it was also very tough on Jerry Tenorti. And, Louis, in Montreal, there's always a goalie controversy, but for once, it's for the backup goalie position. And <laughs> yeah. before camp, not many people, including myself, uh, we, we didn't think that there would be a fight for the number two goalie position. Do you think a decision has already been made, or do you think uh, tonight's performance by Tokarski against the Senators will will actually influence it? Yeah, that's a you know that's a really tough call. I mean, ultimately, when you look at the contract situation, Condon has a one-way contract as of next year, so that kind of gives you an indication of what they think of him and where he is in terms of you know moving forward. They feel that this guy can play. They feel that this guy can compete. They feel that this guy can be uh, a number two to carry Price, to the best goalie in the world. And so, uh, yeah, uh, you know, that, that I'm not, to be honest with you, I think that ultimately they're probably, the easy decision is you send him back to the American Hockey League. Um, but, uh, you know, Mark Bergevin and, and Michelle Therrien aren't necessarily afraid to make the harsh and the hard decisions. Uh, they did roll the dice with Dustin Tokarski last year. And, uh, you know, he was okay. He's never going to be, I don't think, much more than that. I think he's just going to be an okay backup. But when you've got, you know, the guy who's, you know, the MVP, the Hart Trophy winner, uh, the Vezina Trophy, he's a guy that you can throw out there 68, 70 times a year. Um, I wouldn't say that your backup becomes irrelevant, but perhaps what they do, perhaps the easy situation is you hold on to Dustin Tokarski, and if you have an injury or if you really need a backup or something, well, maybe you call him up and, uh, you know, in case of injury, and so Tukarski's on the bench and Condon plays. That wouldn't be impossible either. I think uh, the other major decision that, that uh, has to be made is, is that group 
at, on the uh, uh, forwards on the, the fourth line. We talked a, a little bit about it before you arrived, Louis, but we're wondering about your opinion. Uh, there's, uh, you know, Brian Flynn, um, who seems to, uh, seems that he'll stick around, Charles Sudan, yeah. uh, San Andrew Ghetto, uh, Jacob De La Rose. Uh, the one that we talked about a fair bit was uh, Devontae Smith-Telly and how he hasn't impressed very much in, in training camp, even, you know, having the, the weight loss. He doesn't look a lot quicker out there, but Michelle Terrian seems to want him in the lineup. It seems to be affording him every opportunity Well, the thing about Devontae Smith-Pelly compared to the other guys is that he's a proven NHLer. I mean, he hasn't done all that much in the NHL. I mean, he's still a guy that needs to needs to step up and kind of you're still left wondering and waiting, how good is he? Uh, you know, what can he give you? But, I mean, if you look at what he did a couple of years ago in the postseason, if you look at, uh, if you look at the build, if you look at the pedigree, uh, he's a guy that can play. He's a guy who knows the league. Uh, he knows the rigors of it. And he's also a guy that you traded for. It wasn't a major trade. You had a guy who was disgruntled and who was uh, unhappy that you gave away in C-catch uh, in exchange for Devontae Smith-Pelly. But, you know, I don't think he think that he's a guy that's going to be on the team, but he's a bubble player right now. The reality is that he comes in last year at the trade deadline, and so, you know, it would look a little odd, perhaps, for Michel Therrien and for Mark Bergevin to already sour and already say, well, this guy, I mean, you know, we made the trade, but now we're moving and we're going in a different direction. He doesn't cost all that much. He's a big physical player. He just needs to figure it out. And he knows he's under pressure. He knows that right now, um, you know, his career is in jeopardy, let's be honest. And so I think that that's why he's still around. But he also, very, I think, understands he's an intelligent player. He understands that everything is very precarious for him right now. He needs to figure it out. He needs to be able to prove that he can help. And, uh, you know, when I spoke to him a couple of weeks ago, he, he, he lost those weight, you know, that weight because he felt that out West, you know, it's such a big boy conference. You know, every, it, just everything is so big and everything. It, it's based not necessarily on speed but on physicality. He felt he needed that weight. But he said coming over to the East, he was shocked by how fast it is, how much, you know, it's a skating game as opposed to the opposite in the West. And so, I mean, Devontae Smith-Pelly for me is, um, is somewhat intriguing because, you know, he's just one of those guys that you wonder, is he, is he on the way out? Is his career perhaps, you know, coming to an end? Is he, is he going to be one of those guys that's going to be, you know, on a PTO next year or playing in Europe? I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a reality. So how is he going to deal with that? But the reason why he's still there as opposed to the Udons and the Sven Andrigettos is that because he's done stuff in this league, uh, he's proven that he can have an impact. It's just, was that a fluke? Was it a flash in the pan? Or can he do it again? He's going to get chances, but he's not going to get a ton. That was Louis Jean from TVA Sport. He was talking about earlier Jared Tenorti, and almost three months later, and we still have the same questions surrounding his future with the Habs. This season, we introduced the winner and loser of the week segment, Every week, we select a winner for each of those categories. A couple of weeks ago, at the beginning of the Canadian slump, my co-host Rick Stevens declared Canadian's head coach as the loser of the week. Let's hear why. I think that when times get tough, um, it's easy be, to be a coach in good times. It's, it's, it's easy to be a coach when 
your 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 players are carrying the team. Um, but it's when adversity comes, and the adversity for the Canadians came in the form of losing best player in the world, Carey Price, and losing uh, one of their top scorers in Brandon Gallagher. That's when the coach has to step in and and make sure that the um, he puts his players in the best spot to win. Uh, he makes adjustments. He but he for the most part because because there's this instability with uh, the loss of players, he has to ensure stability. And what Michelle Terran chose to do instead was throw everything completely upside down. Um, he, he changed every line. He, he um, mixed up, you know, players. Uh, he put them in bad situations. Um, Dale Weiss, Paul Byron, all the, these guys are not top six guys. Um, he he put players who play different styles, like Alex Galchenyuk and Max Pacioretty, both great players in their in their own right, but they play a very different game. And putting them together was a disaster, and one that's that finally Terrian recognized, and he's going back to the quote old lines tonight. Um, not only not only was the the line the, were the lines upset, but but Chenyuk put against uh, in his first uh, in his debut, so to speak, as as the first line center um, against Chera every shift, and Julien was Claude Julien was only too happy to to have that matchup. All night long, um, and with the last change, Michelle Terrian did nothing to um, to change that. Um, I, I guess if if not to pile on, but uh, his his use of David Darnay over and over and over again, getting you know um, with zero results, um, and particularly on the power play. Uh, it's not not that he's not scoring. He's not taking. I think he has six shots on goal um, all season in that perspective, in that regard. So uh, Terrian has has um, you know he's upset the lines. He's upset the chemistry. He's upset the power play. Um, and then this whole dark cloud of of Alex Semen who in my mind, uh, really didn't get a fair shot to to see that, you know, if he could contribute. I don't know if he can or not, but he certainly wasn't. Um, you could you could tell from the outset that, that Tyrion was having no part of Salmon and, and uh, had a very short fuse when, when it came to him. Uh, so for all those reasons, uh, and you're welcome to refute any of them, um, I'm, I'm naming him loser of the week. Well, Rick gave me the opportunity to reply to his statement, and I did. You'll get to hear that and a recent conversation with AllHabs.net managing editor Corey DeZomo right after the break. This is the Habs 360 podcast featured on AllHabs.net. 
Don't live close to Montreal? Ever feel like you're the only Habs fan in town? Chances are good that there are plenty of fellow fans just around the corner. And HabsTweetUp.com will help you find them. If you're interested in hosting a hockey party in your city, visit HabsTweetUp.com for more details. You'll be connected to other Habs fans near you in no time. Frameworth is the exclusive supplier and distributor of autograph products for some of the best hockey players in the world, including Carey Price, Sidney Crosby, Jonathan Taves, John Tavares, and Alex Galchenyuk. Thanks to Frameworth, Habs360 listeners can receive free shipping on any order. Shop online at frameworth.com and type in Habs360 at checkout. Frameworth is an official licensee of the NHL, NHLPA, Hockey Canada, CFL, and the Hockey Hall of Fame. For more information, visit Frameworth.com. Want the latest Habs news with game previews, reviews, and highlights? How about full coverage of development camps and special events? Looking to follow the St. John's Ice Caps or the Brampton Beast more closely this season? Perhaps you'd like to learn more about Team... Everything you need to be the most informed and connected Habs fan around. Allhabs.net Don't let them in, don't let them see. Be the good boy, you always have to be. Conceal, don't feel, don't let them know. Well, now they know. Let it go. Let it go. This is the Habs 360 podcast, featured on allhabs.net. Welcome back to a special best of edition of the Habs 360 podcast. My name is Chris G and you can follow me on Twitter at ChrisG1980. We just heard the Canadians recently having some fun singing the song, Let It Go. Before the break, Rick Stevens, editor-in-chief and owner of the All Habs Network of Sites, told us why he recently declared Michel Therrien the loser of the week. Did I agree? Let's find out. I agree with the fact that I don't think Michel Therrien had a good week. Uh, and I think it started maybe even before. I even mentioned it last week in our episode. The Canadians were doing good. They were they were winning. And then Michel Therrien decided to start changing up the line. So I think that and we saw what the results have been since. Canadians have kept losing since the... Uh, but the Canadians, so I think that's definitely something that falls on the responsibility of the coach. Another reason why I think that uh, Michel Therrien had a bad week, well, when it comes to Galchenyuk, prior to the game, the coach in, his, in the press conference mentioned that we think he's ready to get the responsibility to be the number one center, and in fact, in the NHL against the Bruins was the first time that Galchenyuk played. Did he? The Galchenyuk. Alex Galchenyuk minus two in the third period. Just your thoughts on his uh, game at center? Really tough night. 
obviously part of his tough night have to do with the fact that he had to match up a lot of the night against Charon and Bergeron's line? He had a tough night. So when you're talking about your future, the guy who has been branded for the Canadians as their future number one center, and he's playing his first game at that role, I agree that he had a tough night, but does the coach need to go out in the media and like that and, and announce it that way? I think uh, it, it wasn't, a, I don't think that should have been done the way that it was done. But uh, so I think that's another reason why that, um, that Terry had a bad week. You mentioned Rick earlier about the Canadians and he's placing players in the top six roles where they don't belong, like Byron, Weiss, etc. I agree that they're not top six forwards, but in the state that the team is now with the players that they have on the roster, how many top Um, but I think I think um, I I would be placing those players, um, you know, for a shift or or to get some energy or those kinds of things. But you have to trust those players who, um, you know, they're call ups. But you have to trust them who who play that kind of role. Andrew Ghetto um, actually looked pretty comfortable on this two games he's played on the fourth line. I, I don't think that's a bad use of his talent uh, Houdon, but, but playing eight minutes a game, what does that matter? Um, he was, he was, he looked like he fit right in. He stepped right into that top six role and he was moved. Um, I just don't think that's a, a good use of your talent. Well, I agree, but when the, when a team is missing top six forwards, I think that falls under the, the GM's responsibility. I'm okay with the number of chances that he got in. I would have liked him to get one more chance, especially for a team that's been struggling to score. They have 11 goals, if I'm not mistaken, in their last six games. So Semin was brought in to be a top six forward. And, well, he never even got one chance to play with uh, with Max Pacioretty, who's their the goal scorer. So I think that I, I would have been okay if they would have given him at least one more chance playing with Patretti, see how that goes, and if that doesn't work out, then uh, follow the uh, the process that they that they did right now. Whether or not he got a fair chance, Alex Semin didn't live up to the team's expectation of being a top six forward. Someone who does live up to expectations is Corey Desormeau, managing editor at AllHabs.net. He joined us on December 5th, and I asked him whether or not he's worried about the goaltending duo of Mike Condon and Dustin Tokarski during Carey Price's absence. And um, I guess a little bit concerned and worried. I don't know that, that I am personally quite yet. I know Condon had a had a great um in his first stint had a came out to a real hot start and then there was some chatter about him slowing down you know being fatigued both physically and mentally and um you know i, I think there's I, I think from a trade front i, I don't know that we'll see Bergevin go out and acquire someone for for a couple reasons and and i think 
First off, they think that the Montreal Canadiens are in a position to to contend for the Stanley Cup, and I don't think Bergevin is the type of player that's going to give up too many assets for a part-time solution. And I think if he does do that, it'll be at the trade deadline to perhaps get some more scoring or something. I don't think he wants to get rid of his assets too quickly, especially... I think you said over the last stretch there he's three and three, and I think, um, you know, I think there's, I think there's a lot to be said about how the Habs are playing this season in front of their goaltending as comparison to last year, and they're not relying on their goalie as much as they were, you know, with having a positive course percentage, throwing more pucks towards the net than their opponent is a big piece of why they're winning games, and they have the leading, they're leading the league in uh, goal differentials. that the organization has and how there might be a lack of that. And I think you're right. And I'm, not, I'm, I'm unsure if they think Fukali is ready to kind of step in. And I know they're kind of giving Tukarski a bit of a conditioning stint right now in the HL. So, you know, I, I, I don't think a trade is – I don't think a trade is coming. And I think we need to – I think with Condon we need to be a little more patient given the fact that, you know, he's a little bit older for a rookie. But at the same time, he's, he's still a young goaltender. You know, opportunity in the NHL. There's a lot of pressure playing in Montreal to begin with, even more pressure playing behind the best goalie in the world. So let's give them a bit more time. I think they'll reevaluate around the Christmas break how Condon's doing and, and, you know, if he hasn't, you know, if they're still 500 with Condon in the net, then maybe the organization says, you know, depending on where price is at, they might look to do something. But I don't media availability so we we won't know until uh, game time what the lineup will be but if we base it on uh, Thursday night's game against the Washington Capitals there was a line of uh, Max Pacioretty, David Dernier and uh, Dale Weiss so I asked this question early on the week on uh, Twitter and because I'm not sure what the answer is so I want to get your opinion on it Uh, did Dernier and Weiss get promoted to the first line or did Max get demoted down to the third line On um, against the Capitals this week, I think Dehane and uh, Dale Weiss got promoted um, to play with Pacioretty. But whether this is a good idea or not, it's 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 sort of hard to say. I think um, you know I think Pacioretty is the type of player that can really play with anybody, and he really makes his line click regardless of, of who it's with. And if you look back to last season and you look at Pacioretty's numbers with Dehane, Pacioretty's goal for per 60 with Dehane last season was 2.9. This season with Placanic, it was 2.8. Goals against with Dehane, it was 1.5. It's the same with Placanic. And their core C4 percentage is at 64% both last year and this year. The biggest difference, the biggest difference was Pacioretty's deployment. 
and we saw it again against Washington, is that when he's playing with Blakanek, his uh, off- offensive zone starts are under 50%. So he's starting about 47% of his face-offs in the offensive And I think it's important to note that both Placanic and DeHarnay's numbers have dropped when they're playing away from Pacioretty. I mean, it's a small sample size this year for Placanic, but at the same time, we know that they've dropped. Um, so I don't think it, you know, I don't want to say I don't think it matters. I think it's a bit troubling that the Lions would get juggled, especially if they get juggled long term. because. New Placanic line perspective, playing with Flash, I think, and and with Byron, I think they need more time, especially to develop some chemistry. Uh, you know, two new players to the team, whereas you know DeHarnay and Reese have been with the club for a while now. You know, they're 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 comfortable in the room, they're comfortable on the ice, they understand each other's tendencies. So you're going to see that line click right away. I think Michelle Terrier has the habit of going back to that line. Everybody sort of knows that. have and he you know he's never playing with wingers that can score and that's why most people were so excited to see him play with Pacioretty and I think he benefited from that um so it'll be interesting to see how long these lines stay together I think you're correcting what you said before I jumped on the pod and that if this is a short-term solution to get a bit of a spark I think that's fine I think it's great to juggle the lines every once in a while but I don't know if it's the long-term solution and I think on the positive side for the Galchenyuk line not getting split up, I think that was a big boost of confidence from Terrier, um, you know, to understand that that line is working really well. And I think Andrew Ghetto has done a lot of good things since going on that line. And he's actually leading the team in goals, uh, goals four per 60, obviously. He has a smaller sample size than, than uh, the rest of the club. But I think it's a positive thing. So I, I think if this is a sh- if the line juggling is a short-term thing, I think it's great to get a bit of a spark and change things up. And um, what I'm really interested in... Who would you see coming out? Would you see uh, a Thomas, which would be the easiest solution? Or do you see somebody else like maybe Devonta Smith-Pelly getting out of the lineup? Yeah, I think the, I think uh, Smith Pelly is in a bit of the doghouse right now, um, but I do think Thomas would be the player to come out, and I think Carr is the type of player that um, that Michelle Terrier could could really fall in love with. You know, I, I don't think you have to look further than players like Weiss and, and Byron, who whose work ethic is really, and I mean, a more prominent player. Like Even if he's playing with Flynn on the fourth line, uh, I'd be interested to see if um, you know if the, if the Habs get into a bit of a penalty trouble and, and Carr was able to take a shift or two up on a on a higher line. I'm interested to see uh, to see where that goes. Uh, and uh, going back to uh, Sven and Ruggiero, uh, it seems like you said ever since he's been on the line, the line has been on fire, especially Alex Galchenyuk. And uh, we've always heard Mark Bergevin say that if a youngster or a prospect plays well enough, he earns a spot, that he'll make room for him. Do you think mm-hmm. we're at that point now that 
Zvena Drugato has earned himself a spot with the Montreal Canadiens? I I think so. Who moves off the line? You know, I think I think Eller is often um, the punching bag for Michel Terrier sometimes. Um, he seems to have certain players like that on the roster that, you know, move down in the lineup constantly. And I think Eller's usually the player, but I'm interested to see if he goes after Andrew Ghetto or not. And I think that'll be the moment when we sort of find out the true answer of how the team feels about Andrew Ghetto and specifically Terrier. And if Bergevin sees that Terrier has the faith in Andrew Ghetto, then we might see a move potentially happen. And I, I don't know who they'd look to to ship out to make room, but um, but I think that's one we'll know is if that line gets in a bit of a funk. And um, last week after uh, Mark Bergevin was announced that his contract did get extended, you wrote a piece on nohabs.net about uh, Mark Bergevin. So I'm going to make you go at a little bit of a prediction time here. Uh, do you think that during Mark Bergevin's I think so. i completely honest with you, and sure, I'm a little biased, but I actually think the team is... I think the team is there, and they just need that one little boost. And I think with Price coming back, if he comes back fully healthy, whether it's at the end of January or at the beginning of February, that could put the team over the hump. And I think um, I think the organization understands that they're close. I think Terrier's style of coaching this season um, says it all, and he has the faith in the team that they've built. Um, he has faith in the responsibility of each of his players, and I think that's why you see, you know, uh, um, a guy like Semin coming in and out of the lineup because that trust factor is so huge. And Terry is the type of coach where if you have his trust, he'll get rewarded. And I think all the players have Terry's trust. So I think from... From an organizational standpoint, they're they're ready. I think from a personnel standpoint, they're ready um, from goal to forward. Um, so I, I I think they're there, and I think Bergevin. I think I wrote in the piece how you know I've been with mediocrity, and I finally feel like they're at a point where they're over. They've gone from mediocre to great. And I, uh, I think once Price comes back, we'll we'll see whether they're whether they're going to contend for a cup or not. And uh, one last question before uh, before we let you go, our yeah. at three sixty poll question is: Well, we know this week there was a lot of attention on the concussion protocol uh, following the the fight between uh, Nick Foligno and Nathan Bollier uh, earlier this week at the Bell Center, and the question is. As a hockey fan, how concerned are you about the application of the concussion protocol? And the three options that we had on our poll question is very concerned, somewhat concerned, or not concerned. So what would be your answer to that question? Uh, I will say very concerned, and I will—I promise you I will go and vote on the poll as soon as I'm off. And 
the reason why I say that is, I mean, I don't have a medical background or I don't have any sort of medical context to, to really determine or diagnose concussions as they see them on TV. But what I will say is that the NHL needs to take as many measures as possible to ensure that they're taking the necessary actions. And I think it's part of the NHL's responsibility, and I think it also falls on the players, and I think it also falls on the coaches. And I know that's sort of a a cliche answer, but, you know, I think you'll see, and you see it a bit in the NFL, is like players are sort of developing these little, like, tips and tricks to pass concussion protocol. And I think if we're speaking specifically to Beaulieu's incident, I don't think there's any way that he should have gone to the penalty box. And I don't, I, I don't think there – I think it's just responsibility of the players. I think the referees that were on the ice, the coaches that are on the bench, and the league officials that were in the stands, one of them surely saw, if I could see it on my television, when he got rocked from a punch to the head, his knees buckled, he went to the ice, that perhaps – Nathan Beaulieu had a concussion, and perhaps he shouldn't be going to the penalty box, and he should be going straight to the concussion protocol in through the dressing room. So those are just my those are just my thoughts on the Beaulieu incident. But I would say I'm concerned. I think just for like the health of the players, both short term and long term, and I think there's a collective responsibility amongst everyone who's on the ice, everyone who's in the press box, everyone who's on the bench. The good news is that Nathan Bollier seems to be fine following that incident. After the break, we talk about P.K. Subban, and we will also talk about Mark Bergevin's recent contract extension. This is the Habs 360 podcast, featured on allhabs.net. For the most trusted source of news, analysis, and features about the Montreal Canadiens, their affiliates, and their prospects, log in to allhabs.net. Your year-round resource for anything Habs-related. That's allhabs.net. If you missed a recent episode of the Habs 360 podcast, visit the podcast page on allhabs.net or search Habs 360 on iTunes for our archives. Want to make sure you never miss another episode? Subscribe to Habs 360 on iTunes and all new episodes will automatically download for you. Habs 360 is proud to be a partner of Rocket Sports Media, digital media publishers of sports and entertainment websites. In addition to building a worldwide network of sports fans, the team at RSM is also dedicated to mobilizing the sports community bridges the gap between team affiliations. It's something any fan can support. RSM proudly provided support for organizations and projects like Hockey Fights Cancer, Five Hole for Food, the Montreal Canadiens Children's Foundations, Autism Speaks, Leukemia and Lymphoma Society of Canada, and the People of Canada Portrait Project, just to name a few. If you would like to be involved with a Rocket Power project or have a worthy fundraising initiative you'd like us to be part of, please contact us at rocketsportsmedia.com. Let it go, let it go When I'll rise like the break of dawn Let it go, let it go That perfect girl is gone Here I stand In the light of day Let the storm rage on The cold 
never bothered me anywhere. This is the Habs 360 podcast, featured on allhabs.net. Welcome back to a special best of edition of the Habs 360 podcast. My name is Chris G and you can follow me on Twitter at ChrisG1980. This season, it seems like we see P.K. Subban everywhere off the ice, getting involved with the Montreal Children's Hospital in the remarkable commitment that he made with them, and we've seen him sign as a spokesperson with a couple of companies. On the ice, we haven't seen a Norris nominee type of season for Subban. Even though we see him off the ice often for the good reasons, I asked Rick whether P.K. is doing too much off the ice and it's affecting his play. It's a really good question, and I don't know that I have a you know a, a clear answer about it. Um, but it, it makes you wonder. Um, you know, the things that he's he's out there doing are are good things, are are, are valuable things. Um, he's uh, you know we all know about his um, donation to the the um, hospital, um, the atrium. Um, he's he's launched his website. Um, this fall, and um, I guess the, the, the part that bothers me is um, there's been several interviews recently where he's made the point that hockey is only a very, and he uses the word tiny, tiny part of, of who I am. He's, and he's even said um, a small part of my brand um, who he's, you know, I, and uh, okay, um, he wants to get across the point that you know he's into philanthropic uh, uh, endeavors and those kinds of things, but hockey provides that. The only reason he's able to do these other things is because of hockey, and he's got to take care of his hockey business first, his hockey brand first. Um, and you know, it's it's a it's a really good point that you made. There there are some questions about about his focus and even to that he recently became a spokesperson for for sports experts he's a spokesperson for boston pizza as well in quebec so he's definitely out there and it seems like he's focusing more on the brands of of pk suban than maybe on the ice and you know this is all theory we don't know we're just giving our opinions here on uh, on hab 360 and even when at the press conference when he announced the donation that he'll be doing to the atrium and he was uh, thanking the people who supported them. There was a lot of mention of his company, his PK Subban uh, Enterprise. I think it's PK Enterprises or something like that along those lines. So maybe the brand of PK Subban is uh, becoming a distraction for him. In November, the Montreal Canadiens announced that they signed a contract extension with Canadiens GM Mark Bergevin. On November 27th, Rick and I shared our thoughts on the news. But first, let's hear Benjamin's thoughts. It means a lot coming from Jeff. It's a, it's a story franchise. Like I mentioned earlier, I'd like to say thank you to Jeff Molson and also Serge Savard that was part of the, uh, the hiring, you know, uh, for the Canadian. And also the players, which without them performing, I wouldn't be standing here today. Michel Therrien and all his coaching staff and my staff, on, as far as Rick Dudley, Scott Mellonby, Larry Carrier, uh, Trevor Timmons, that you know, I, I got here. Trevor was here, and I didn't know Trevor very well, but I realized how uh, I was a great asset. He is with Montreal Canadian, 
in uh, how much he works hard. And uh, Vaughn Carpen, which another guy that I didn't know, and uh, you know his valuable uh, insight of uh, players around the league. It's you know it's bar none. So I'm just one guy standing here, but there's all guy, whole bunch of guys should be standing next to me here today. All right, welcome back to episode 156 of the Habs 360 podcast for this uh, Saturday, November 28, 2015. I'm Chris G, along with Rick Stevens. We heard there from uh, Mark Bergevin, who was announced earlier this week that his contract was extended and will keep him with the team until the end of the uh, 2021-22 season. Uh, in the move that Jeff Molson said that will add stability to the uh, organization. Under Mark Bergevin, the Canadians have made the playoffs every year. In the three-season span, the Canadians have played 34 playoff games. They've won three series, and well, they ranked fifth in the league for the number of series one and fourth for the number of series uh, played in the past three seasons. And in the Eastern Conference, only the New York Rangers, with 56, have played more playoff games than Canadians since 2012-2013 season. So, Rick, on my end, I think it was a good move from the Montreal uh, Canadiens of uh, extending Mark uh, Bergevin. I think so far, if you look at the overall picture, I think he's done a, a pretty good job. And and just like Jeff Molson mentioned in the press release, it's good to have some stability because even if you look at the successful teams, whether it be the Red Wings, whether it be the Blackhawks, etc., their management team, has always been uh, stable throughout their their success. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, you know, I, I think that he's done a good job um, and he's made some, some key moves and key signings. Uh, he has brought stability um, and, a, and a certain professionalism, but I think that, that um, he gets, he gets a little bit more credit than, than others, um, you know, than than a, than a Ganey or or, or whomever uh, Pierre Goche, mainly because he's so, you know he's uh, what we hear most is always oh, funny. Oh, he's he's a, f- a fashionable dresser. Oh, he's um, and I think that that some of the mistakes that he's made. I, I, there's people out there that believe he's made mistakes. Um, he's made a, a bunch of them. And I think those get white uh, the the rug because he's just so damn likable. Um, and whole uh, right side. Um, you'd rather be hearing about that kind of a signing or a trade. Um, so th- that's the only thing that bothered me. But but other than that, I mean, he's been, um, he's been a very good uh, general manager for the Montreal Canadiens. So we've been asking our uh, followers to give us what they think have been the best or the worst moves that Bergevin has done uh, through the tenure. So we'll just go through uh, some of them. First one comes from uh, Nino in Laval, who writes his worst move is uh, Alex Semin and his signing. I'm not saying that it was a great move. I don't think it's the worst move that uh, that Mark Bergevin has done. And 
I'll be able to. I'll tell you a couple of other bad ones that I think uh, Brejovain did that I think are worse than. played with the Canadians. Uh, he probably will never play a game with Montreal Canadiens. He's also got a fifth-round draft pick, so ended up being Brandon Crust getting traded for a fifth-round draft pick. I don't know this for a fact, but I think there was more to this trade about Brandon Crust than, than we know. But uh, definitely on the optics, it doesn't look as a, uh, as a good trade. Uh, next tweet comes from Rick Dumas. He says the uh, Seikach trade was a bad move. Never gave a kid a chance. Better player than Byron and just as fast. So thank you very much for uh, the tweet, uh, Rick. Uh, just, I guess I just want to throw something out there. Yuri Seikach this year in the Connecticut is uh, Jim Santomassimo. He thinks that the worst move was Devante Smith Pelly for Yuchi Sekach. And when it comes to the best move, it's uh, Jeff Petrie. So I'm assuming that includes the trade the Canadians did uh, last year, trade deadline, and as well for the uh, contract uh, extension. Rick, from any of those comments that we saw from that we that I read from our Twitter followers, are there any in particular that stand out as you agreeing or disagreeing? Um, I, I agree to to some extent. Um, when you look at the contributions, um, certainly, you know, you're, the Canadians were expecting more from Cassian, from from Smith Pelly, um, um, Alex Salmon. Um, Uh, the Thomas Vanek one did it, you know? Did it really do anything? Did it really pay off? I think that for me, um, you know, Danny Briere, Pierre Parenteau, uh, the 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 major failing of of um, Mark Bergevin has been his inability to to get a scoring winger. Um, he, they've tried a lot of them, and in some cases, um, you know, it was well known that these people that these players wouldn't work out. Uh, but in other cases, or whoever, you got to make sure that the coach is on board. And Tarion hasn't given many of these. He didn't give Seacatch a, ch- a chance, didn't give Salmon a chance. If you're going to bring these players in, the coach is going to be on board to give them a, a, a fair uh, trial. And, and um, I think in some cases, they've not necessarily been on the same page. But at one point, Rick, uh, Brejovin must 
he's uh, he's going in, right? I'm sure he's aware. I'm sure he might not be 100% uh, agreeing with with the coach, but he must be supportive. I guess he supports the decisions he's made. Okay, and and if if I if I accept what you just said, then Bergevin bringing in Alex Salmon was a huge mistake. Um, and it's not about the money. It's not about it's it's the fact that you were counting on this person to be your not just a, a plug-in on the fourth line that can be easily replaced. You were counting on this person to be a major contributor to your second line. You you your entire training camp and your system to be that way. And now um, a, a third of the way through the season, everything. Yeah, uh, sure. Like I'll, I'll take that as, uh, as as your opinion. But uh, one thing that I've kept in mind when it comes to Alex Salmon, I don't think it was a plan A for uh, Mark Bergevin. I think it was a desperation move at the end, which yeah, probably falls more on Mark Bergevin that he had to go to that point where he was stuck at going at a plan C or plan D or whatever he was. It wasn't his uh, his first choice. Uh, let me tell you a couple of the moves that I think were um, that Bergevin probably well did a bad job, and I think he could have done better. And obviously, hindsight, this is what we're doing right now, so it's always easier when we're looking at it after the fact. Uh, one that name to bring the Montreal Canadiens and make him successful and we even remember that year it was the, the famous tour to uh, to Daniel Briere at the at the Bell Center. Another move that I'm not a fan of is uh, Tom Gilbert that, that when he was signed uh, from the Florida Panthers for two years he, he's probably a player I don't appreciate enough but I still don't think um Considering the depth Canadians have in defense, probably wasn't the best move. And I think that was uh, Tom Gilbert was supposed to have the role that Jeff Petrie now has with the team. Another move that I didn't like, but Mark Bergevin ended up fixing, was the signing of Travis Moen. Good move. It was one of the first ones that Bergevin did. Uh, the signing of Brandon Prust. We saw in the first couple of years, he brought a lot of character. He was the first player that Bergevin signed to uh, bring that kind of mentality to uh, to the team. And I think Brandon Prust uh, did to the team what uh, he was intended of doing. Another good acquisition, I think, was Dale Weiss for Rafael Diaz. 
an, a player who was underappreciated from the coaching staff in Vancouver. A good job by the scouts here in Montreal to uh, to find him in Vancouver and bring him over to the team. And um, we saw what the results have been. I also like the fact getting rid of Randy Bork. And, well, just like Jim said on Twitter, I think another good move from the Canadians was the acquisition of Jeff Petrie and the fact of signing him into a long-term contract. And maybe one more that I'll throw out there, a good move for the Canadians, player probably not as enthusiastic about it, was the contract extension of uh, Max Pacioretty at a very good somebody who's scoring almost 40 goals. Any moves, Rick, that you, that stand out for you as good moves by uh, Bergevin? Well, the moves that that, um, that you've mentioned, Dale Weiss, Jeff Petrie, uh, I don't know if you mentioned Thomas Fleischman, but those Um, there at the time, uh, as Bergevin said, he didn't know Trevor Timmons that well. Uh, there was um, a lot of interest in Trevor Timmons as a GM around the league, and um, Bergevin found a way to to keep him, uh, give him a little bit more authority. Um, and the other the other move was bringing in Rick Dudley. Rick Dudley and Trevor Timmons are two of the brightest hockey minds uh, that we that. That there is, that there are. Um, those two moves allow these other moves to happen. Allow good draft picks. Allow um, good trades. Um, he's built a, an excellent. Is is the best information out there, um, and it allows him. Or, or a Jeff Petrie. Um, I think that's one of the biggest differences it, between him and Sagoche, who, uh, you know, didn't have a, a very large group uh, of advisors and who came from pro, the pro scouting side himself and and was the the architect. Uh, Goche was the architect behind the whole Gomez uh, trade. Um, Mark Bergevin has brought in some quality people. Stefan Wade is another one um, who have provided him some great information. Um, you know, I quibble with his his selections um, at the coaching on the coaching side um, at both the AHL and NHL level. But as far as his front office, his hockey operations staff, second to none. Well, I hope you enjoyed this week's edition of the Habs 360 podcast. We really do appreciate you listening to our episodes on a weekly basis as we bring you the latest on the Montreal Canadiens. My name is Chris G, Chris G1980 on Twitter. On behalf of everyone here at Habs360, we wish you all the best, happiness and health in this holiday season. 
I will talk to you again next Saturday at 2 p.m. Eastern. For the latest news on the Montreal Canadiens, follow us on Twitter at Habs360 and visit allhabs.net.